Will just said about next weekend, it's Easter weekend, and uh, so we're going to spend time celebrating together, like of all things that we should celebrate, Christmas and Easter ought to be two of them, right? And so Friday night we'll be gathering in here at 5.30 for a worship service, and we'll be taking the Lord's Supper together. It'll be a, a good time together um, just to set our hearts right for Easter weekend. Saturday we're doing an outreach in the park, so if you want to be a part of that, be sure and go sign up. Uh, today. It's just from 11 to 1. And then like Will said, next Sunday at 9.30, we're going to have all life groups together in the Family Life Center, including our kids. So bring the whole family, bring some food to share, and we'll have breakfast, and we're going to celebrate some things, and we're going to have fun and enjoy the fact that Christ is risen together. Um, So that'll be at 9.30, and then we'll just miss some time to be over here at 11 for worship. We're going to have it. We're going to have Easter Sunday morning worship, so we'll be in here next Sunday. You can uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at two stories today, Uh, two stories of Jesus healing, starting in verse 12. And on on the surface, yes, they're both stories about Jesus healing, and specifically him healing people that that are outcasts in their society. Um, But really, these stories are about much more than that. These stories uh, teach us, one, how we are to approach Christ, and two, how Christ receives us when we approach him in this way. So let's look at it together. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, uh, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Look at verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they, were, they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
God, and I thank you for uh, its sufficiency this morning, God. God, I thank you that even though we've heard these stories before, even though we know of your power to heal, God, there's so much more depth and there's so much more meaning to them. God, thank you for, for your word. God, I thank you that it teaches us that we come to you as those who are outcast and those who are desperately in need. And when we come to you like that, God, you receive us with love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. God, we thank you that you have the authority for, to forgive sins. And we thank you for this week as we celebrate Easter and all that it means. God, I pray that our hearts would be directed to Christ, to what he accomplished on the cross, and to his resurrection and what that means that we have a new life. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, we got to go fast this morning. Y'all ready? All right, look at verse 12. So remember, Jesus is in this uh, one of the cities, probably in, the, in Galilee, and it says that a man came full of leprosy. Leprosy is this, this skin disease uh, that in the most extreme manner he has, right? Because it says he's full of leprosy, so it's not just a little spot. It has covered his body. And leprosy, what it does is it, it's not really a skin disease, it's really a nerve disease. It causes lack of, of, of feeling and ability to feel in your skin and in your, your hands and your body. And so what happens is, is your body eats itself away and gets beat up because you don't feel pain. And this man has this leprosy and it has covered his body. It's not just a painful disease, it was a shameful disease for them, right? Because in Israel, if you had leprosy, you were exiled from the community. Uh, one, for medical reasons, they didn't want to pass it around, but more than that, they viewed it as sin had exposed itself on the outside. They viewed it that, that these people who had leprosy must have some deep sin issue that has now finally revealed itself. And so lepers were outcast. They were ceremonially unclean. And until their leprosy was fully gone, they could not uh, live with their families. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't do sacrifices. They couldn't worship. They couldn't do anything. They are complete outcasts. They had no cure and very, very few remedies for leprosy. And this man comes to Jesus now. Put yourself in his shoes for a second. This man has no hope. This man has no cure. This man has no plans for his future because he is totally isolated from everyone. He is not allowed to be in the presence of people and to be in the presence of God. And what a terrible state to be in. In verse 12 it says, And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. He fell on his face and begged him. First, this leper is not supposed to do this. He's not supposed to be this close to people that he can be in talking distance. He's not supposed to be within six feet because, because it'll pass it on. But this leper has heard about Jesus' power somehow through the grapevine, or maybe he stood at a distance in the synagogue when he, when he saw Jesus heal or cast out the demon, or maybe he was present at some of these other miracles on the periphery. 
However he heard, he comes to Jesus and he begs him is what it says. He falls on his face. He has no shame, no fear, uh, and he has no respect for the common law of their land, which is to stay away if you're a leper. He is desperate in all senses of the word. And he shows that by his body and he shows that by his words. He really has nothing left to lose. He has no future by himself. He is shooting his shot, for lack of a better term. And what he says is verse 12. Notice it's not a question. It's a statement. It says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's not a statement of, I mean, it's not a question of, Lord, will you make me clean? He just says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So what does that show about us? It shows us that he knows something about Jesus, right? He knows that Jesus is Lord. Because just like Peter in, in, in the last couple of weeks bows down before Jesus and says, you are the Christ. You are Lord. So does this man. This man bows down before him and he calls him Lord. He knows also that not only he is Lord, he knows that Jesus can make him clean. So he's obviously heard about some of these other miracles. He does not doubt. He has full faith that Jesus has the ability to, to heal him, to uncurse him. This curse that has been on his life, he, Jesus has the ability. That's what faith is, is believing that Jesus can. And he also knows that Jesus may not heal him. Because he says, Lord, if you will. He, he doesn't come demanding this. He doesn't come saying, you've, you've healed all these other people. You should heal me. No, he comes very, very humbly. And he understands that he is at the mercy of the Lord. He's not the one getting to say, Lord, heal me. Jesus is under no obligation to heal this man. Now, just we think about our own selves. We think about our own life. This is how we must approach God, if we're going to be saved, we don't come to him demanding anything. <laughs> we say, Lord, if you will, you can heal me. We have to recognize he is Lord. We have to recognize that, that he can, meaning we have to have faith. But we are still at his mercy. Salvation is a cry for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it says in verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He like, you don't touch lepers. This is rule number like six when you're a kid, right? It's like, love your mama, say yes, sir, and don't touch lepers, right? This is basic human existence in Israel. And Jesus in this moment, in a shocking way, reaches out and touches him. Jesus doesn't have to touch him, right? Because he has since before this, he's just spoken and made whatever happened. He's just spoken and rebuked a fever, spoken and a demon left. He doesn't have to touch him. Why does Jesus touch him? Because he loves him. Because this man has not felt the touch of another human being since he's had leprosy. He doesn't have feeling because of his leprosy. And so Jesus reaches out and touches the untouchable. And he says, it's one word, and I will be clean. 
And it says immediately the leprosy left him. There is no waiting period. There is no wondering, let's see if this remedy takes effect and then we'll try this other thing. No, Jesus touches him and he speaks and it's gone. Now, I don't know what this man looked like. Sometimes in leprosy, like your face is defigured and skin and limbs get defigured and all sorts of stuff. However it played out, whatever it looked like, and I decided not to show pictures this morning because they're pretty grotesque. You can go Google them yourself. Uh, Whatever, however it played out, everyone that was there knew the leprosy is gone. So if his nose was defigured, all of a sudden it's right. If his arms, everything is right. The evidence shows by his appearance that leprosy is gone. Can you imagine this moment as this man, having been secluded from society, secluded from God, having no hope for your future, there's no remedy, there's no cure, and in this moment, it's all gone. You can, you can be free. He's totally free. He can go back to everything that he once knew. He has freedom. He has purpose. And look what Jesus tells him to do, verse 14. It says, and Jesus charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. We'll talk a little bit about Jesus telling him not to tell other people. And I think what he means is, first, you need to do what the law requires, which is if you had leprosy and you were healed, you had to go to the temple and have priests verify and do all kinds of stuff for eight days. There was a process. If you were healed of leprosy, thank God we don't have this today, right? It's kind of like COVID, right? It's like that waiting period, like you've had it, you got to wait eight days, right? The same kind of deal. But he's got to go to the priest. Now, we can read over that real quick and just go, oh, Jesus is just telling him, do what the law requires. I think there's a lot more to this. Because if he goes to the priest and he tells them that his leprosy is gone and they examine him and shave him and bathe him and all this stuff, he's going to have to open his mouth and tell them what? Jesus healed me. How how did you get rid of your leprosy? Well, Jesus touched me. Jesus spoke and told it to go away. Why does Jesus tell him to go do this? Because he wants the religious leaders to know that Jesus really is the son of God. Remember, that's what this whole section is about in Luke. Jesus is proving that he is the Son of God, and he wants to prove it to the religious. Now, we already know a lot of the rest of the story. They're not really going to listen. But this leper is supposed to go. Now, what it says in verse 15, it says, But now even more the report about him grew, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Now, I don't think the leper obeyed. I think he went and he told everybody, just like you would, right? He would go find his family and go, look, I'm clean, I'm healed, I'm back, right? It says, even more the report went about. He had experienced true salvation. His life was dead and now he is alive and he cannot help but tell other people about it. This story is incredible, Right? I mean, what a miracle to see. But let's don't just look at the surface of it. Let's don't just look at the skin. Let's think about the heart. Luke is telling this story to teach us something. Jesus did this to teach us something about how we are to approach Christ for salvation. 
We don't come demanding things. We, don't co- we, we come as beggars in desperate need. We know we have no hope, and we must cry out for mercy. God, save me. I know you can. Save me. Now, I want us to read another story. We got nine minutes. Oh, my word. Look at verse 17. It's about another outcast who Jesus heals, but he does a lot more than that. It says in this day that another one of these days he was teaching, uh, as Jesus often is. Anytime he gets a crowd together, he's going to teach. And it tells us that in this crowd this day, and we know he's in a house by what it says in a minute, in this house, probably a significant house, there are Pharisees and teachers. Now, we, we kind of skip over these words a lot. And in my head, I just lump these together as kind of the religious leaders. But quickly, the Pharisees were a group of very religious, very passionate, very put together, very renowned, very respected men in Israel. And they were, they were zealous, they were passionate, they were consumed with following the law. So much so that they had added all kinds of other rules and regulations to it so that they wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. These are, by all worldly standards, these are very good men, right? Very well disciplined and religious. And it says that these men were there. But the problem with their lives was not that they were uh, broken. It's that, that they were too religious, that they had added so many burdens on themselves and on the Old Testament and on the, uh, the, the rest of the people that they had made accessing God impossible because no one could live up to their standards. Anybody have someone, an authority figure in your life that you can never live up to their standard? That's who the Pharisees were. They were not able to achieve perfection. They were OCD and type A about their religion but they couldn't even live up to their own standard. There's, there's four words that describe Pharisees. Separatism. They were better than everybody else. Because of their good works and whatever they were, they were up here and everybody else was down here. They were legalists, meaning that they were really good at following the rules. But they based their worth and their value and their relationship with God on how well they did that week. They kept a scorecard and a report card to know where they stood with God. So they're separatists, they're legalists, they're self-righteous. Their righteousness comes from themselves and their own ability to please God. But more than that, they were hypocrites. They proclaimed one thing, but they lived very differently. It was good for thee, but not for me, right? And they were victims of their own devices. So these are the men sitting there that day. Now, they're not antagonistic to Jesus yet. One day they're going to kill him. We're going to celebrate that this weekend, okay? In this day, they are just listening. They're trying to understand who this Jesus is. And it says that they're from all over Israel. They're trying to determine what is this man teaching. And that's the setting for what happens next. It says in verse 18, there was a man... Uh, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into their midst before 
Jesus. Let's think about this paralytic. A lot like the leper who is an outcast, this paralytic is in a similar way an outcast, right? We, we assume he's probably been a paralytic his whole life. Maybe he was injured, I don't know. We don't, we don't know the difference, but he is ostracized from community. Why? Because he can't do anything. He just, he's, he's literally at the mercy of others. He just lays there. But there's also a social stigma on him, just like the leper who, they viewed the leper as someone who had this sin and it had exposed itself in a physical way. They thought the same thing about paralytics. Uh, you must have really messed up. You must have really done something bad for you to, God to curse you with paralysis. And this man, put yourself in his shoes. He has no future. He has no hope. There is no remedy. There is no cure for his paralysis. He is destined to lay on this mat for the rest of his life. Thankfully, he had a few friends who loved him enough to bring him to Jesus. They had enough courage and strength to go get this man and, and bring him to where Jesus was at this house. And they had to get creative, right? We all know the story, right? They get there and there's a crowd and they can't get in. And I'm thinking, how pitiful. He won't let the cripple guy through, right? Like, but the, people are so intrigued with what Jesus is doing. They won't let him in. And so the friends loved him so much that they climbed the outside of the house and they get on the roof and they start digging through the mud and the lairs and the tiles. And I'm sure a scene had been caused at that point, but they were committed. They had to keep going. They got to get the hole big enough to get him through. They can't just get a little peephole and go, hey, Jesus. No, they've got to really open this thing up. And it says that they do it. And they lower him down to where Jesus, I'm thinking like, did they really have to go that far? Like once they got the little hole, couldn't they have gone, oh, let's go bring him? No, never mind. It's not what happened. And Jesus looks at them and he says, verse 20, and when he saw their faith, how do you see faith? How do you see faith? He saw their faith by their what? by their works, by their actions. He saw their faith, that they believed that Jesus could heal so much that they were willing to go to whatever lengths it took to get their friend before the healer. And it says, Jesus, seeing their faith, he looks at him and he says, man, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> he doesn't say, you're healed. <laughs> he doesn't speak over him a blessing. He doesn't, he talks about his sin. He talks about his, his relationship with God. Now, all these people in the room think he is a sinner. But none of them know at this point that Jesus is going to forgive his sins. And Jesus says this to provoke the religious leaders who are in the room. And this starts the clash between him and the religious. Between grace and works for the rest of his ministry. And Jesus says this to provoke them. And it, look at verse 22. He says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts and their questioning, who can do this? You're, you're acting like you're God. He says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he said, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say to you, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? And the answer to that question is, it's easier to just, I could tell you, Cody, your sins are forgiven right now. That's much more difficult than saying, rise and walk. 
Because I can't verify if your sins are forgiven. But we could verify if he says rise and walk, right? And so Jesus tells them this. Look at verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has, on, has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. First, Jesus deals with the spiritual reality that this man has sin and he needs forgiveness. But he's also showing the people that he has authority over both the physical and the spiritual. And so he turns to the man. He doesn't touch him this time. He just speaks. He says, rise, take up your mat, and go home. Look at verse 25. And immediately he rose up before them picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Just as with the leper, now the paralytic, immediately after Jesus speaks, he is healed. There is no waiting period. There is no, uh, let's see if this takes effect. Like, there's no emotion in this moment. It says immediately he got up. Jesus' healing is immediate. It's verifiable. Everyone in the room saw it. Religious leaders, respected men, and no one disputed this after the fact. Luke wrote this knowing, I'm writing this to people that saw this event. He picks up his mat and he goes home. And it says in verse 25 that he glorifies God. Why is he glorifying God if Jesus is the one that healed him? Because he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why Jesus sent the leper to the temple to do the sacrifice, because he wanted them to see that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the theme throughout this whole section, that Jesus really is the Son of God. Now look at verse 26. It says, An amazement seized them all, and they glorified God. And we're filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Like, these people did not forget this event. These people never forgot this day of their life. It's like the, the day your firstborn was born. It's like the day you got married. This is a key moment in the people that saw this life. They saw a paralyzed man get up, walk, and glorify God. They don't forget this. Now, we don't really get the Pharisees' reaction here. We get it later. And we get it based on their questions a little bit. I don't think they believed. I, I, I don't think they saw it. I don't think it meant anything to them. Because later they're going to kill him for claiming to be God. And in this moment, he claims to be God. He claims to have the authority of God over this earth. And so what Jesus is showing and what Luke is showing us is not only does Jesus have authority over the physical, and yes, it's a story about healing, it's a great miracle, but ultimately Jesus has authority to forgive us. He, as God, is the one we have sinned against. And we need forgiveness, not just from one another. Who do we need forgiveness from? God. And Jesus, in this moment, is teaching that he has the ability to forgive now, as we close, if you're going to have a relationship with God, you must be like the leper. 
You must come to him humbly. You must come to him in faith, believing that he can save you. And you must come to him in belief that he is the Lord, the Son of God. If you don't believe those things, then you cannot be saved. There is no way. You cannot demand it. You cannot earn it. You cannot manipulate it or anything. Salvation is offered to the beggar who is in desperation. If we're going to have a relationship with God, we must come like the paralytic boldly today, immediately, right? With faith, willing to go to whatever cost because we know that we can only find it in Jesus. And if that's what we believe, then we'll do it right now. We won't wait. We won't wonder and save it for down the road. No, we come like the paralytic with urgency. And if we're going to see others come to Christ's church, we must be like these friends who creatively, lovingly, boldly, courageously bring our friends to Christ. Point them to Jesus. If you've never done that today, I would love to talk with you at the end of this service. I would love to point you to Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the leper. I thank you for his testimony. And I thank you for the paralytic. And I thank you for his friends. And I thank you for their faith and their urgency, God. More than that, I thank you for Jesus, who has the authority to forgive, who has the ability and all the power and all the knowledge needed to make this happen, God. And I thank you for his willingness to say, I will be clean. God, I thank you for your willingness to forgive us. God, we do not deserve it. God, and so we cry out to you as beggars in need of mercy, God. We pray that you would heal us, would save us. God, and we pray for our friends and our family who are lost, who don't know you. God, we pray that you would give them faith to believe. You'd give them urgency to seek out Christ. God, and you would forgive them. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.